Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I've been better, Andrew, oh. but I am looking forward to this podcast immensely. Being here with you and our listeners is a mood lifter. You look so uncomfortable right now. JJ's microphone is tilting, and so he's trying to tilt his head with it, and it's... I could probably tell him how to fix it, but I kind of would rather just watch this throughout. The, the point is, though, I have the the nimbleness to be able to do that. Oh, yeah, wow, you really are a gymnast. Yeah, well, if you tried it, you'd pop that dodgy shoulder out again that made you quit basketball and give up on your dreams. Oh my God, you really took it to a personal place. Yeah. What a show we have coming up for you. Uh, this should be a lot of fun as the group stage of the Champions League has concluded. So we've obviously got that to talk about. Who, uh, who were our, I guess, for lack of a better term, our winners and losers of the group stage. Who's surprised to be advancing? Who's surprised to be going home? We'll look at all of that. And, JJ, we have our MLS Cup Final. It's going to be NYCFC in it for the first time and the Portland Timbers in it for the third time. From Providence Park, I mean, you talk about atmospheres. To get a final in that venue, that's going to be something. And the man who will be on the call... John Champion will be with us a little bit later on to preview that game. Can't wait for that. One of he, my favorites. He will be with us, mm-hmm. but mostly me. Okay. Uh, well, he'll be he'll be on the podcast in a little while to talk about MLS Cup Final. We'll give, of course, some of our thoughts as well. We've got a nice mailbag. I've looked at it. Uh, there's some good stuff in there that I'm looking forward to. The animals have weighed in on something that they'd like to see, which I always appreciate. And uh, JJ, the return of the red card and man of the match. It's been a while. It has been a while. I like both of mine. They're topical. They're punchy. They're from different sides of the planet. Interesting. Which is... Why am I trying to sell it like a... It's all right. The world's a small place now. A morning segment on on a TV show. The Champions League, the group stage is in the books. Let's talk about it, JJ. It's been a... Well, I shouldn't say that, actually. It's not quite in the books yet. There is one match that was postponed from earlier today. And an important one. Yes, because of the frozen elements. In uh, Bergamo. Yeah. So uh, things are not decided. And that that is the potential to decide that uh, part of that group. Yeah, Atalanta and Villarreal are who we're referring to. Yes. That uh, because of snowy conditions, uh, like you just said, that match has been postponed till Thursday. So the group stage is not yet complete. Um, but we're going to talk about it anyway as though it has been completed. Uh, JJ, I guess the big match here, and this kind of bleeds in uh, to the first sort of question that I was going to ask about the group stage, which is kind of of the teams that have been eliminated for the knockout stage, which one surprises you the most? I'm going to tie that in with the with probably the most high-profile match of this set of matches, and that was Barcelona and Bayern Munich. All eyes were on this one, um, not only because Bayern had been flying and they're generally fun to watch, and not only because it was going to be played in an empty stadium, which was you know a sight on that two years ago would have been unthinkable. Now was kind of just like sadly common when yeah. I, when I looked at it. Uh, it was in no way jarring, which is just kind of sad that that's reality. Um, but of course, it was because Barcelona needed this because this has kind of become uncharted territory for Barcelona. They hadn't not advanced out of a group stage since 2004, and that's when they weren't in the Champions League. Obviously, they are 
This is supposed to be routine for them, but we now have come to find out with this iteration of Barcelona, we are living in different times. Yeah, and it didn't really hit home until we were in studio studio here preparing for the podcast and you get your little notification through from whoever it was. I can't remember. Bleacher Report. Barcelona are headed to the Europa League and you try and put those two together, Barcelona and the Europa League. And then you see a tweet from Jonathan Wilson. Uh, the greatest trick Pep Guardiola ever pulled was convincing the world club DNA exists. You know, the idea that there are some pe- some clubs that regardless of of myriad factors will always stay in this rarefied air. Clubs that basically just kind of run themselves. Yeah. That it doesn't really necessarily matter. And by, by the way, like, he, he's right. We have now found out that that is true. But, you know, a year, two years ago, I, I kind of would have felt that way. I, I sort of felt like Barcelona were one of those clubs that, like, well, they'll just be great forever. They're they're of that echelon where they're always going to get great players. They'll always have the highest caliber manager. You know, they'll always have funds available to them to do the things they need to do. And we, we've now come to learn that that no, that's, that's simply not true. To see to watch them tonight against Bayern Munich, fighting for their lives, but not really in the game, was actually a tell a lie. Had Usman Dembele scored his chance at nil-nil, which I think was a really poor finish from him. Um, Yeah, one nil up, you never know. They weren't terrible, but they were nowhere near the level of of Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich were brilliant. Uh, Lewandowski's assist to Muller was was just an example of hold-up play. This guy's not just a goal scorer. He's got a lot, a lot of other tricks, and the header itself was actually pretty good too. And and Barron just looked deadly every time Alfonso Davies got the ball. You could just see the panic filter through Barcelona, and um, and it didn't help that Jordi Alba had to go off after thirty minutes with a didn't help. Hamstring. Uh, Leroy Zane was was kind of dropping into like a, a central position, causing them all sorts of problems to the point where Barcelona were on one of their few breakaways in the first half and you see this guy streaking out of nowhere to dispossess I can't even remember who the player was but it's Leroy Sané with number 10 on his back doing a kind of a, a that that gif of Weston McKinney sprinting to get back in cover he's doing that he doesn't even have to go to ground just picks the ball up takes it off them it was it was at times jarring to see do you know what it looked like if you didn't know if you didn't have the Chiron telling you who was playing the game it looked like maybe Bayern Munich versus a very average Leon team hmm. or something like that. You could never really decipher the old Barcelona from the way they played. They were so outplayed. It was, yeah, it was jarring to watch. You know, it's interesting because I know we spoke to Simon Cooper um, earlier this year about Barcelona. One of our interviews of the year. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. And, uh, it's probably still up if people want to go back. Uh, maybe I'll try to find which date it was if people are curious to listen to it. It seems apropos now with Barcelona going, I'll have a, out, I'll have a look. going out of the Champions League. But you know, one of the things that was mentioned there that we've referenced several times since was this idea of Barcelona kind of falling into the trap that Manchester United have fallen into, where you know, in terms of like some years they'll qualify for Champions League, they won't necessarily be viewed in the same light that they were when they were at their absolute peak. Um, but still a prestigious club, and, and they'll kind of cycle through that sort of thing. And, you know, I've been thinking more about that, JJ, this Barcelona-Manchester United comparison, because the one thing that we have said multiple times about Manchester United, specifically when they're playing at home at Old Trafford, um, is that there's a fear factor that's gone with them. The clubs, not even just talking about the other five big clubs in England, but even, you know, your mid-table sides that go to Old Trafford, they just don't fear them in the same way. 
And I think we have now started to see that with Barcelona, where it's you know not just the other giants of the sport, but you know a lot of teams in mid-table in Spain give them trouble. But I was thinking about it in terms of the Champions League, and I saw this from Sam Marsden, uh, who wrote at ESPN FC, in talking about Barcelona, because they lost 3-0 today. He says they lost by three goals or more to PSG twice, Juventus twice, Roma, Liverpool, and Benfica in Europe in the past four seasons alone. And then there's Bayern, who have now beaten them by three goals or more three times over the past 16 months, totting up an aggregate score of 14-2. I mean, they're going up against a lot of other big clubs, obviously, in this competition, and they're just getting steamrolled. Jamie Carrer at half at full-time on the Paramount Plus broadcast said... And again, these words just don't sit right. Barcelona are not a top-quality European side anymore. Barcelona are not a top-ranked European club side anymore. So that's an interesting comment. And I would I could almost look at that one sentence, and it could be a podcast unto itself. And I say that because, like, he's today, he's right. You look at what they are right now, and they're not. They're going out of the Champions League early. They're struggling domestically. You look at their their squad, and it's just not what we know Barcelona to be. However, I, I, I still give them a little bit of leeway in a statement like that, solely because like, it's a clear time of transition for them. And I think before we decide that Barcelona are no longer Barcelona, like, aren't you curious to see what Gavi, Pedri, Ansu Fati, Araujo, like there's a young core at that club where if they can keep them financially, which, you know, could be an issue for them, but if they can keep all these guys with that club and then still make some of the signings that, you know, Barcelona of the past would, not to the the quantity that we've seen before. Or the quality, Andrew. Well, maybe. The the money isn't there. The the latter... They're going to have to be smarter. They'll have to be smarter, but I'm just saying there's a young core there that I just simply can't bring myself to say, well, that's that's them done. They're not in that echelon anymore. I just kind of want to see how their young core develops before I write them off. And by the way, including that, uh, their young manager, who's also learning on the fly, who we think highly of, we don't know yet. He's a rookie manager at this level. Yeah. So they've put they've put a lot of weight of expectation on him to turn this thing around. By the way, the podcast we refer to is Messi and Barcelona bonus podcast with Simon Cooper 8 11 21 so okay. the 11th of of August there and uh, yeah it's up on the pod center you should listen to it um and we don't know what Javi's going to be and he hasn't had time to do it and hopefully he'll get time but your equations are so heavily money based the first part and the second part that the young players all of them can be kept and the second part that they can augment cuz like look Jared Piquet will need to be replaced. Mm. You know, there's there's other players that will need to be re- replaced. I mean, Laporta seems to be... He's saying he wants to keep Usman Dembele and he's saying it by comparing him... That's saying that he's better than Kylian Mbappe. Can, can we digest that for a sec? Yeah. I know we're bouncing around a lot. Does Joan Laporta... like so? Just so we're all on the same page here, what he's doing is trying to overinflate a player's value so he can receive in return a large sum of money. And... What I would say to him is, fine, totally understandable why you would do that. Do you have to choose Mbappe? Like, how dumb exactly do you think we all are? There's a lot of other great players out there who aren't quite to the level of one of the best strikers on earth. Like, can you choose somebody else that maybe you could trick some people into thinking, okay, well, maybe is Dem- maybe Dembele is worth more than I thought. 
Like, he chooses Mbappe. Like, why stop there? No, he's Messi. He's Ronaldo. He's Pele. Yeah. Like, wh- how dumb are we? Yeah, it's it's not it's not great. Um, but he's he's in a desperate situation, Andrew, and desperate time calls for hyperbole. <laughs> it's the only thing I can come up with. Lie through your teeth. Do what you got to do to try and get some money out because you hear some of the players they're being linked with, and you're like, on what planet? Mm-hmm. Even uh, Kristen Pulisic. Yeah, there's a chance, probably more than a chance, that Chelsea may look to move him on, you know. But it's going to be still money that is beyond your your abilities, your means. I mean, Chelsea would have to be willing to take a huge loss. A massive loss. Yeah. I don't know that they're not in financial dire financial straits. Why no. would they feel the need to do that? No. Okay, so he's not in our starting 11. He's not a problem. So, like they don't, they they won't be they they won't be forced into doing anything. No. Whereas Barcelona are going to be trying to maneuver things and and be clever, and that's because they are so broke. We have more money right now as we sit here. We have more liquidity than Barcelona. That's debatable. Um, but that statement that Carragher makes is an interesting one because I know that that's that's how it appears right now, and we'll see how it plays out now. Um, like like Gerard Piquet, it's funny because he was asked, I guess during the week about kind of the state of Barcelona and the state of Bayern Munich, and and Piquet, he gave a quote that on the surface sounds salacious for a Barcelona player to come right out and say that uh, he said, well Bayern are a better run club than us. And you yeah. Think, wow, that's quite a thing for a Barcelona player to say. But then you just think about it, and you're like, it's actually not in any way, shape, or form salacious. Barcelona are like famously in. Like a horrible position right now. Yeah. Financially, there's they're, you know they've had to sell players but, left and right. They've just lost their generational player in Messi because they couldn't afford to keep him. Like, obviously, yeah. If anybody's giving him shtick for that, like, relax. It's it's clearly the truth. But way, but the way football news bounces around and the way we are distracted quickly by the next shiny thing, kind of makes you forget of, of what what you know. It was August and we were focused on Messi leaving Barcelona. Next thing, boom, Ronaldo back to Manchester United and we're on to that. Yeah. You know, so we kind of need to be reminded sometimes of, of the, the, the absolute swamp that Barcelona as a football club find themselves in. Um, we mentioned Xavi before. Mm. He had a lot to say after this. Now, no one would be shocked that Barcelona went into the Allianz Arena in Germany in Bayern and lost. Bayern are better than Barcelona. Um but Javi wasn't that's not okay. Like he's some of his comments afterwards, JJ, the rules man himself, the 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 disciplined daddy, if what, you will. There's a new daddy in town. A disciplined daddy. So I have some quotes here from the disciplined daddy. Oh yeah. This is what he said afterwards. He said He said, Bayern dominated us. Oh, wow. <laughs> he is a disciplined daddy. <laughs> he was dressed in leather as he made these comments. <laughs> he said, we always want to dominate, but it was the opposite here. We must demand more. We're Barca. This must be a point of inflection to change the dynamic and many more things. This is the Champions League, but this is also our reality. It's the situation we're in. I'm angry. This is the reality, and it pisses me off. We have to tackle it face on. There's nothing else for it. I've seen how tough the reality is. I hoped we would compete better. Bayern are better. That's the reality. But we're going to work hard and give our all. 
so that this doesn't happen again. It's a feeling of helplessness. I have to say, first of all, that might be better than Thierry Henry watch. It might be better than Lampard and Jared watch. The whole thing. Credit Arrested Development. Yeah, for the Discipline Daddy. So that's your Discipline Daddy update. Yeah. Brought to you by Leather. Arrested Development. Yes. Um, I like so, honestly. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of making fun of him because he's come in with his his, he's got his ten to- commandments. But I like. I like this attitude, this this idea of... But he can't back down now. I don't care what, what our financial situation is. If you're going to wear that, that jersey, there's a certain standard that we're going to play up to, and this is unacceptable. And, and you know, he realizes he has to placate socios. He has to keep fans on side. He has to keep members of the board on side. Well, I think the other thing, too, this ties back into what we were saying earlier. Like, yes, all of that is true. It, like... He will win the fans over with comments like this. This is exactly oh, he, will, yeah. he will win the press conference with this. But more than that, you know, like I said, this young core, like they, if they're coming up in a time when Barcelona aren't what they were several years ago, like they could fall into this idea that Barcelona are something different. He's got to indoctrinate in those guys specifically. Like there's some guys on that team that, you know, they may be a lost cause at this point. But there's young players who are impressionable. He needs to get through to them specifically and instill the Barcelona way, whatever that is, from the Xavi, Iniesta, Messi years. You know, he's got to get that in them. And then if there's other guys who don't buy in, they, those ones can move on. But those young players have to know that. I I agree totally with that. And um, he, he's going to be desperate though that he for him to actually have those young players to work with. Um, I, I also do think that he can't lose the plot at every he's got to alternate between that wasn't good enough mm-hmm. and also this is the situation we're in it's the Stockdale paradox where hope is a very important thing but you can't have hope until you utterly realize the desperateness of your situation so he's kind of spinning plates here a little bit between giving the fans what they want but also addressing the the key needs of the team and some of those key needs will be A, to keep those players and B, to get better better options in if they can even do that. He may have an impossible job, friends. We may be <laughs> talking true. about this era as a false dawn but there's so much writing on on one man who's only managed at Al Saad so far. Uh, JJ, any other, uh, I mean we just did a lot on Barcelona there. Um, Teams eliminated from the knockout stage that are going out in the group stage, falling into the Europa League. Any others that stood out to you? Well, we knew this already, but the fact that uh, Borussia Dortmund won't be there, mm-hmm. the fact that we've probably seen Erling Braut Haaland in his, la- in his swan song for, for the club, I don't think he'll play another Champions League game for them. I just don't see that the summer going by. There are so many suitors. Um, I th- I, they They made a mess of a group in which, you know... Sporting, Besiktas. Come on. Yeah. There's enough in there in that. Now, I know there'll be Dortmund fans rolling their eyes. I am aware of this club's recent ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. But that was a group that was very, it was pleasant. Right. It's kind of why, like part of me coming off the, the Champions League run that they had, I can't necessarily include RB Leipzig in the conversation because they were in a group with Manchester City and PSG. Right. Like they they were always going to be selected third in that in that. If, setup. if you run through the groups, 
you're pretty much right. Look, look at Group D even. Real Madrid and Inter, they get through over Sheriff and, and Shakhtar Donetsk. Bayern and Benfica, Barcelona, obviously that's that's a shock there. Manchester United, VRA, well, we don't know we yet. We don't know yet. But Manchester United topping that group, d- despite their problems, um, and a number of late, late shows in that group, doesn't shock you, shouldn't shock you. But um, that was the group, that was the Group C was the group where you thought Dortmund have a real chance here. And Ajax have just emerged as a team that everyone wants to watch. A lot of uh, club supporters will want to avoid them in the next round because they are just so dangerous right now. But, um, yeah, that was a group that Borussia Dortmund will look back and think, that's just... Missed opportunity. Big missed opportunity. Especially with what you're saying about, could this be a swan song for Holland in Europe? Well, well, they're going to the Europa League, so we'll see what happens. So they're not out of Europe, necessarily. No, but but in the Champions League. The big old big ears, they're not going to... They're not going to... With their transformational striking talent their freak show of a striking talent they're not going to get a run at it right so. uh, you mentioned Ajax which transitions into the other side of this coin which is of the teams that are going through who are you feeling best about and that is who I have written down here Ajax is the one that stand out to me obviously there's a lot of great clubs going through but they are six games six wins and a goal differential bettered only by that of Bayern Munich in all of the group stage uh Sebastian Haller, we've talked about this. I don't know what else to say other than welcome to the elite. Like at, you're 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 in the club now at 27. Yeah. So so here are some of the here's some of what's notable about what he has achieved. He he converted a penalty yesterday uh, in Ajax's win. Um, only Haller uh, this year and five-time Ballon d'Or winner Cristiano Ronaldo in 17-18. Champions League season have scored in all six group games of a Champions League campaign. What's notable about Hollers there is that these are the first six Champions League games of his career. He has scored in all of them. Uh, with 10 goals from his six games, Holler is finding himself, this is from the BBC, among the most exalted of company, given he's now one of only four men to have reached double figures in the group stages of a Champions League campaign. And by the way, the other three are Messi, Ronaldo, and Lewandowski. And Sebastian Holler. Incredible. If this is a hot streak... Eden Hazard has nine Champions League goals all time. Yeah. <laughs> Holler, in this group stage, passed Eden Hazard. This is just a scorching, scorching hot streak. And I'm trying to think of of comparisons. And it obviously there are none from what you've just read there, outside of <laughs> the elite guys. But I'm thinking about when... Michael Ricketts was centre forward for Bolton Wanderers and he's just like, he scored 20 goals in like four months and he was picked for the England team and then he fell off the face of the planet. Fell off the face of the planet. But a com- So you're looking for a comparison of what exactly? A player who we've known about for a number of years who was always just a guy yeah. and then suddenly we woke up one day and he's one of the best players. in the. In- he's in just this blazing hot form. That those are the guys. Now I should have researched this in my mind, but it's good for the listeners because they're going to be shouting at their at their respective devices. Okay, right well, now. can I throw one at yeah, you? Yeah, go on. I mean, what does Mo Salah count N- for Chelsea, no. Fiorentina, and N- then he came he came to Liverpool, and we woke up one day and said, "Is that the same guy that was on Chelsea?" Yeah, but yeah, but Andrew. Um, Okay, right. Uh, he had, I mean, he hadn't scored anything near the volume of goals, and then all of a sudden he becomes this twenty-goal a season guaranteed goal scorer. All right, and he's done that now for the last four or five seasons. Unbelievable. But no, 
Okay. I, he doesn't count. I'm thinking. Why? Oh, I guess because I don't think Haller is going to keep doing this. <laughs> well, which well, we is, don't know that. We yet. don't know that yet. But I guess maybe that's my my English bias coming through. That oh well, you know, he didn't do it for West Ham. He didn't do it in the Premier League. Didn't do it for Moisey. So that means there's no chance that this can keep going. But I mean, I, we should also mention that the the cast of other stars around him, like that attack for Ajax. Anthony is in such unbelievable form too. Uh, again, poor old Ajax are going to have to figure out how to keep Anthony. Now, they've kept David Neres for a long time. Yeah. So, he's there and Bergwies, who scored one of my favourite goals uh, yesterday where he looks as he's shaping to shoot across the keeper and cuts it back across into the near corner. This is a, this is a lovely team. A lovely team. They're a lovely team. <laughs> a team I love to watch. And the fact that they've been able to come back and absorb all those transfers only a few seasons ago, friends. You know, they were in the... I mean, denied. They should have been in the Champions League final against Liverpool. You'll happily accept that. Well, not happily, but you'll accept <laughs> Why it. would I? Yeah, I mean... They should have been. They took, were seconds it, it took an unbelievable collapse for them to not. Yeah. And that team is then dismantled. And Eric Ten Hag comes back with these guys who... It's amazing. We yeah. have yet to see what they'll do in the knockout phase we have to see how the draw will go for them but yeah incredible team uh for the question of who are you who else are you feeling good about as we enter the knockout stage look we spent all that time on barcelona we should also mention real madrid i have not thought about them they have caught fire and at least on this podcast it's kind of flown under the radar uh they just won their group and they are flying now in la liga they're on an impressive unbeaten run um, as they head into this coming weekend's match, uh, what are they? They currently, I think, have built a 10-point no, or an 8-point lead. 8 points on Sevilla. And uh, what a weird, weird top five. My beloved Real Sociedad have fallen fallen away. Atletico Madrid then in fourth. Real Betis in third. And Sevilla in second. Very strange. Um, as they face this weekend, I mentioned because it's a, the Madrid derby. As they uh, welcome Atletico to the Bernabeu uh, with a ten-point advantage over Atletico, who are currently fourth. Um, so you know, like it has clicked for them again. As Barcelona have fallen, Real Madrid uh, have certainly not. Karim Benzema is continuing to be in in the form of his life, and it's. Uh, I think right now, when you're looking at this Champions League, if we're identifying, okay, who are who are the teams that can really click on and win this? Obviously, Bayern will jump to mind first. Um, but, you know, we've talked about Ajax as a dark horse candidate, but Real Madrid, I think, they they cannot be far off of of whatever you're thinking of Bayern right well, now. If you're feeling best about Manchester City, you're feeling best about Liverpool, Ajax, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and then after that, it's kind of outsiders and then dark horses. That's how I would. You didn't mention either of Group H, uh, Juventus and Chelsea. Uh, I did not. No, um, I don't. I, I I fancy Chelsea more than I do Juve. I'll put it that way. Okay, Juve uh, did end up winning that group. They did for whatever it's worth. I I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just think I, I fancy Chelsea. I prefer their squad, generally speaking. Now mm-hmm. uh, they had an excellent game against Zenit which was uh, tied up and equalised at the end by a wonderful, wonderful volley. One of those volleys that gives you the fields. 
But um, no, a certain American had a prominent assist in that game. A certain American looks very good when he links up with uh, Hakim Ziyech. Uh, and a certain German who really couldn't hit the broad end of a barn with a shovel. <laughs> scored early and scored late. Got his, got his tap in and then took the other goal very well. Very quick feet from uh, Timo Werner. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I guess I include Chelsea in that right now. I'm being very of the moment. Mm-hmm. Whereas Chelsea are just in that little bit of a, a zone where you think... It's not quite clicking at the moment. But um, no, I'm not ruling them out of, of, of retaining. The reigning champions, Andrew. It's easy to forget because it happened so quickly. Um, but yeah, that's the, the teams I'm feeling best about uh, would definitely include Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. I haven't thought that much about them. But Ajax, Liverpool and Man City. I like that. It's a good, solid list. Uh, I don't have much else on the Champions League, JJ. Uh, I just have one thing which was uh, a tweet I saw. Uh, obviously, Liverpool and AC Milan. Um, AC Milan, very disappointing. that They didn't put out more of a fight considering they were still in the hunt for a, you know, uh, to win or to come second in that group that Liverpool have streaked away in, obviously. Um, uh, our friend Mina Rizuki just tweeted this. Serie A isn't at the top. For goodness sakes, they can't build stadiums. There are deep problems that affect all the clubs financially. But spare Milan a second. This is a young squad missing several players and back in a competition they haven't played in for seven years. Slowly. Um, and then the other, just one other related tweet from uh, Phil Kitramedes, who is the uh, co-host of the Spanish football podcast with Sid Lowe, um, on Atleti, who got through, Andrew, but not convincing. They got through. They convinced in the end after... I will have a little more on that game later. Right. I'll say nothing then. Um, but uh, Phil uh, Kitramidis uh, tweeted this uh, before the game. I watch every game. I pour over data and statistics. I speak to different people every week about it. I still can't really understand how this Atletico Madrid team with one of the best squads in its entire history is underperforming so badly this season. Mm-hmm. And that is the way you feel about them, despite the fact they went through yesterday. So that was my. Uh, that was the only other two things I had about the Champions League. There you have it. The group stage is in the books. Should be a fun knockout stage. We've mentioned a lot of teams. Like we're talking about who has a chance to win this. We just rattled off a lot of teams that feel like they believe right now they can go on and win this thing, which sets up for a really fun and entertaining knockout stage of this competition. Almost makes you wonder why would anybody ever want to change a competition that can be so compelling in both the group stage and uh, knockout stage. I don't know, Andrew. Would it be to help an elite group of? Teams of the, that have been prolific with their funds over the last few years. No, that couldn't couldn't, couldn't possibly. Be. It wouldn't be. Look how smug we are talking in quiet tones. I know quiet, quiet smug tones. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, JJ, this podcast is going to go up a notch. When John Champion joins us as we preview Saturday's upcoming MLS Cup final between NYCFC and the Portland Timbers at Providence Park. It should be a fun one. Lots still to do here on Caught Offside. Don't go. Anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside as we talked about. It is upon us. MLS Cup Final. We have waited months and months and months for this to happen, and it is here. And we are joined now by ESPN's lead soccer play-by-play announcer. The game is going to be on ABC this Saturday, 3 o'clock. The one and only John Champion on the program once again. John, what's up? How are you? 
Yeah, very good. Thank you. Really looking forward to this MLS Cup. I think it, it, it's a beautifully balanced game. Uh, lots of contrast to it, which we commentators like because we can wax on about those throughout the match. Gives us plenty of, of food for thought. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think it should be a great occasion. Yeah, I guess we'll start there with some of what you're talking about. I know, you know, for for big matches, cup finals in particular, we like to find storylines, narratives, things like that. Are, are there any that you're particularly intrigued by heading yeah, into well, this Yeah, well, I'm just starting to sort of dig below the surface of this game. I, I travel to, to Portland two days ahead of the game. Um, so I, I'm looking at things I'm like the connection between the, the veteran Argentinians in the game. So the fact that you've got Diego Valeri, whose valedictory performance it will probably be, most likely off the bench, Sebastian Blanco, Maxi Morales of NYCFC, three guys who all played international football for Argentina more than a decade ago. So I was looking at Maxi Morales. Um, his only cap in 2011 happened to be alongside Diego Valeri. So looking at little things like that, the fact also that Zuperic, the Croatian centre-back of Portland, played with Rijeka in Croatia alongside Eber, who, again, will probably come off the bench for, for NYCFC. So little things like that that you can throw in. I mean, I've now given them away, haven't I? So I can't now use them in the broadcast on ABC. But that's the sort of thing I'm scratching away at now. John, can I ask you something from a commentator's perspective? Uh, the great John Giles. Now, maybe it's only him that claims this. He said the crowd never got to him. It never bothered him what they were saying, what they were shouting, how intense the atmosphere was. He got on with it, which is a very workman like John Giles thing to say. But, you know, we're going into a final here where it's not a neutral venue. Hmm. How much do you think the weight of the crowd and the fans sways this in one way? Um, I think it's a considerable factor. Uh, and I think another considerable factor is the nature of the playing surface in right. Portland. Artificial turf and not the best of artificial turf. So NYCFC, I mean, let's face it, had they had home advantage, that would have been very considerable because they found a postage stamp at Yankee Stadium. Yes. And no visiting coach likes to go there. It's the absolute minimum dimensions allowed by FIFA. And then it looks like they've clipped a couple of yards off the width of the pitch even then. Yes. So I, I think... You're always going to have home advantage for one team or the other. I think it's more marked if you're going to somewhere like Portland. And it also brings us into the whole Providence Park thing, because to me, Providence Park is as close as you get to the spiritual home of soccer in America, because it's been there so long. It's been a sports venue since 1893. It used to be a ski jump at one stage. Then it was a baseball arena. And since 1975, it's been home of the Portland Timbers. And 1975, in the context of American soccer, is like 1888 in English soccer when the Football League was set up. It was the start of the NASL. Um, so I think that with the Timbers Army, which is as strident a supporters group as there is in the league, with the playing surface being as it is, and just generally with the environment of Providence Park, those are three very significant advantages for the Timbers going into this game. Uh, yeah, I would certainly agree with that. It's, it's one of the most electric places to see a game in this country should be, should be incredible atmosphere wise. Another incredible venue atmosphere wise last week, the Eastern conference final. I just wanted to touch on this before we kind of truly move on. Oh uh, boy. There's, there's no moving on here. Will you ever you. move on? That's my I will, I will never move on, but, but here's what I'm curious about. So, okay. We all know what happened, you know, three, four days out from the Eastern conference final union word leaks out positive tests everywhere. 11 players, six of their 11 starters. And it's not that I'm necessarily vouching that this is what should have happened or shouldn't have happened, but from, 
from your perspective, people that you spoke with in the buildup, uh, just from whatever you were hearing leading up to that game, was there any conversation about a decision to postpone or was that never on the table? I think the only way, from what I understand, that that conversation would have gone any further down the line, other than just casual remarks between people, would be if for a third day running there'd been another batch of positive tests. So as I understand it, Wednesday prior to the game was day one of positive tests coming in, and that knocked out about eight players. And then on day two, uh, Andre Blake, the goalkeeper, and one other tested positive, and they were holding their breath at that stage, because if another batch of positives had come in on Friday, I think they just wouldn't have had enough players to field the side and they would have had to forfeit. It wouldn't have been a case of postponing the game. They would just have had to say, I'm sorry, we can't fulfill this fixture. And given the timescale before MLS Cup and the need for the players who tested positive to go into quarantine and self-isolate, it just wouldn't have been possible to play the game. So I think we all held our breath on Thursday night, wondering what Friday morning would bring. And Friday actually brought no more bad news because um, they'd had more than enough of that already. So at that point, we knew that the game was likely to go ahead. The only rider to that was that all the players actually had to test when they arrived at the stadium an hour and a half before the game. So that was the other critical point, because had some of them returned positive tests at that point, then the game would have been called off a very short notice. But generally, there was a determination from the league and from Philadelphia that the game had to go ahead, really, because it was also a financial bonanza. It was the biggest take at the gate that the union have ever had for any game in their history. So Jay Sugarman, the ownership, they were all very keen that if possible, if safe, the game should happen. John, uh, there'll be people tearing their hair out because Andrew has uh, swerved us towards the Philadelphia Union and uh, our New York <laughs> listeners will want to talk about NYCFC. So what's interesting for me about NYCFC, John, it wasn't exactly a universally held thought amongst their fan base that this was going in the right direction under Ronnie Dahlia. We saw, we remember the, the Yankee Stadium, the two banners where one was Dahlia in and one was Dahlia out there a couple of months ago. And that's, that's really the feeling, the sense you got. He wasn't exactly, you know, the unanimous, uh, confident manager that we see, I think we see now with the way he's negotiated these playoffs. Mm. Um, what's he done right? Um, I, I think be- below all of this, we have to accept that the methods that he's deployed which is basically trying to get everyone to buy in, to get everyone to do everything, i.e. the the less glamorous side of the game, has taken quite a while for the message to finally get through to the players that this is the way forward. It is Ronnie Dyler's way or it's the highway as far as he's concerned. And it's probably taken a season and a half for that message to fully seep in. And we've really only seen the benefits in the last couple of months fully. But what you're getting, if you look at some of the stats after matches, and I'm not a big one for running stats, but one did strike me that after the... Eastern Conference semi-final, Maxi Morales, who to me is not the epitome of a man who's going to do a lot of tracking back, uh, is going to cover every blade of grass on the pitch. He ran 15 kilometres during that game, which is phenomenal. And I think it's symbolic of the way in which Ronnie Dyler has changed the face of this team from the previous era under other coaches where it was a sprinkling of big names, whether it was Veer, Lampard, Pirlo, whoever, and a bunch of others, and there was no real connection between the two groups, the stars and the non-stars, and there was no commitment by the bigger names to do the dirty side of the game, to now, where there are no real standout names, there are a lot of good players, and let's be honest, they spent a lot of money by MLS standards as well to assemble this squad. The guy that scored the winning goal at Philadelphia, Tyus Magno, 19-year-old, could end up costing $12 million, which is huge in MLS terms. But 
what he's done is he's got everyone to buy in and they're now a much more effective unit than they've ever been before, even if they haven't got the headline act. So I think that's his greatest achievement, that he's created a culture now where it's about the team rather than certain individuals. There is the sense with them, I don't know if you're getting it, but I certainly am, that you know they are something of a death star, that even though they may not have the, you know, the, the necessary obvious trappings of wealth and of their ownership, there is a sense that the neutral fan in MLS is definitely going to be shouting for Portland. Maybe not the Seattle fans, but most fans will be shouting for Portland. I don't know if you're getting that. Um, I, I mean, I get the sentiment behind it, and, I, and I, I kind of understand, whilst not necessarily agreeing with the sentiment behind it, but it's just the same way that if you're in England and you're watching Manchester City against a team that's funded by normal people rather than people that pump their money out of the ground effectively then the natural tendency is to support the perceived underdog. So I don't see Portland as an underdog, but what I do see is Portland as a team that's grown authentically, organically. Merrick Paulson, the owner, has been there the thick end of 15 years now. He's spent a lot of money as well, but there's a, a long lineage, a long history of the sport in that town. And then you've got NYCFC that only came into being in 2015, are perceived to have uh, various advantages, the biggest of them financial Right. So yeah, it's it's another good narrative. Um, I don't share it, but I think anything that builds up a bit, bit of enmity um, and, if you like, villainy around either of the teams or any of the players is welcome in the build-up to a big game. I, I I was of the feeling that the in the Revs NYCFC game, and there are reasons why the Revs came out flat in that certainly the long the long delay. Um, but I was of, of of the feeling that NYCFC when they passed the ball, when they moved it, when they, when they combined their patterns of play, that they were con, you know, considerably better than the Revs. And they're a more possession-based team than even Portland would be. Uh, does this give NYCFC an advantage coming into this one? How would you evaluate the two creative talent bases? Mm, it's, it's fascinating because it's also, by its very nature, teams from the two conferences. And the two conferences are so different in the way that football is played generally. I think my feeling is that the West is a slightly stronger conference, um, that the top teams are slightly better teams. So that coupled with home advantage would make me think that Portland start as favourites in this game, certainly in my head as I look at this. Um, I like NYCFC as an attacking force, though. I think they're almost the exception in the East in that they are fluent uh, attack-wise. They are a side that is properly constructed and properly coached, which is not to denigrate the other coaches, but I do think they were so much better prepared for that game at New England than the Revs, as you've alluded to as well. And I think that smacks of a, a more modern approach. Um, I mean, Bruce Arena undoubtedly is very good at getting a group of men together, geeing them up, sending them out to play. Um, but I think Ronnie Dyler is 25 years his junior and probably has a few more modern ideas. And maybe on this occasion, those paid off. John, we are 25 years old, uh, the senior side of that for quite a few of our listeners. So on cup final days, and I know it's different, the FA Cup final, a lot of people had rituals, what they would do, certainly back in the day, maybe those things have gone. Have you any ritual going into MLS Cup final, how you'll prepare or how you'll attack the day? Well, I have the usual checklist of, of things that I have for every match in terms of preparation. And I'm surrounded here in my on my desk in, in, in Boston as I speak to you by about seven different piles of paper that I'm trying to amalgamate and distill down into a couple of sheets of A4 that I can have on a pad in front of me to actually call the game. 
I'll probably get up a couple of hours earlier than I normally would, particularly with it being a noon kickoff Pacific time. Mm. I'll probably go for a walk just to um, wake myself up, go for a, a strong coffee, a bit of breakfast, and then head down to the ground. And it's not quite the usual build-up because normally you'd mill around in the players' tunnel, you'd talk to some of the players and the managers, and you get very valuable information just an hour or so before kickoff. And of course, we can't do that this time because of COVID protocols. But what I will do in Portland, and it's one of my favourite things since coming to the United States to do soccer is that, as you know, so many of the grounds are outside of the cities and you have to get in a car or on public yeah. transport to go there. With Portland, you can actually walk there and it's just up the hill. So we stay in a hotel downtown. It's exactly a mile to Providence Park. And it's just about my favourite mile of walking in the United States because you go past bars, restaurants. On the way back, you can pop into some of those. On the way there, you have to be a bit more focused. There are There's a, a, a soccer memorabilia shop that you go past as well and you're always surrounded by people decked out in the green of the timbers as well and it's a very european feel the march to the match in a very informal way and you feel enveloped in the occasion as soon as you leave the hotel and get out onto the street and start walking so i will allow myself enough time i will say no to espn when they say right a car will pick you up at 9 a.m i'll say no i'm setting off at 8 30 and i'm walking because that that's a very special thing and it just helps me get in the mood for the game as well Absolutely. I've been to that ground and it's one of the it's one of the great cathedrals of soccer in this country. And it's also a, a, a organization, a club that has lucked out in that it didn't make the decision to take it outside of the city. It mm. stayed exactly where it was. Yeah. John Champion of ESPN. Um, John, I just want to talk to you a little bit about the Premier League because um, <laughs> to say you're double jobbing is, is, is not correct. <laughs> you're double continenting um, of late. What, what's your schedule looking like for December? Um, yeah, busy, busy. I mean, I, it looked pretty busy uh, last week where I had a ridiculous 48-hour trip to the, the UK. So I did a game in Kansas City against RSL for ESPN. And then I went straight to the airport, hopped on a plane to Boston, got two hours sleep, got a 5 a.m. flight to JFK, made my connection by two minutes onto the flight to London, got to London, uh, got in a car, was driven to Elland Road, called a game, was driven to my home in England uh, overnight, driven back to Everton to do the Merseyside derby, driven straight to Heathrow to get back on a plane to come back to Boston. So that was last week. It gets a bit more relaxed now because I've got Portland, but straight after the game, I'm on a flight from Portland to Seattle, Seattle through the night to Boston, Boston to pack a bag here at my apartment, then the overnight flight to London. And then I'm, I'm back there for five, six weeks. And I've got a, a cluster of Premier League games, a few for the sort of world feed that goes internationally and a few for Amazon Prime Video who have some of the rights over there as well. So looking forward to doing five or six Premier League games over the, the rest of the month. John, how do you assess the top of the table right now? Because in my mind, we've seen some flaws from nearly everyone at this point. We saw Liverpool lose out to West Ham in that game. We've seen Chelsea take a wobble again at the London Stadium. Mm -hmm. um, Manchester City seem to be clicking into uh, ominous gear. Uh, how do you see the title race right now, even though it is only the beginning of December? Well, I think three, three runners that you've correctly identified. Um, Chelsea, for me, are below the other two. I know they've had a really good start. I know they're really well organised by Tuchel. I acknowledge what they achieved last season once he came in. But as football teams, of the three, the one that I enjoy watching the most are Liverpool. Yeah. I just think that they can take... If you're just there purely for the aesthetic pleasure of watching a football game, they can lift you from your seat in moments of brilliance more effectively than the other two. Um, and, yeah, they had a bit of a blip, the, the defeat against West Ham, the home draw with Brighton, but... If that's a blip, then I think I'd accept that 
at this stage of the season. So I really like Liverpool. My concern with them is that Manchester City, I think, given the depth of their squad, are just going to be relentless. You know, there are areas of the Liverpool squad where if they suffer an injury, as was shown with Van Dijk last year, it is going to affect their results. You look for those areas in the Manchester City squad and there is better cover. I'm not saying it will not have any effect, but there is more cover. Uh, and then you go to Chelsea and I think the depth of that squad is below that enjoyed by Liverpool and Manchester City. So I suppose what I'm saying to you is that I wouldn't like to call the title race. It's great that there are three contenders. I'm not sure that Chelsea will stay the course. I would really like to see Liverpool win it just because their football is so utterly thrilling when they play at their very best. Uh, but I'm not convinced that it won't be Manchester City. Uh, John, uh, before we let you go, I did want to ask you about uh, Ralph Rangnick at uh, Manchester United. Mm. Uh, <laughs> people, people, people are saying already we're seeing the the, the Rangnick effect with the in terms of they had I think tw- almost twice as many turnovers uh, in their game against Crystal Palace there um, a few days ago, and 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 that things will, will suddenly click into gear. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on appointing a manager as an interim who's technically more of a director of football or a sporting yeah. director and then giving him a consultancy which is a rather vague term yeah what on earth are they playing at is my response i i don't get it i mean it's just another in a series of mystifying decisions by that club under the current ownership and management um what do i think about it he's the least manchester united manager that i can possibly imagine because that's a club that plays cavalier football mm-hmm. and rangnick is anything but a cavalier he's a pragmatist and pragmatism gets you so far. And yes, if it stabilises Manchester United, I suppose that's fine. But their ambitions should be more than just stabilising themselves at this point. Um, I suspect that it's it's a measure that's in place so they can go and get a Pochettino at the end of the season. And maybe then history will judge them to have made the right call. But it intrigues me that you go from having Solskjaer, who, whatever his shortcomings, subscribed to the idea of Manchester United as Cavaliers, because he was part of that as a player, to someone who's the absolute opposite and then you're hoping to appoint someone that's going to take you back, in theory, to what Manchester United are in the minds of their fans. So it makes absolutely no sense. There is no logic to it at all, in my mind. And I, I'll be fascinated to see how the appointment of Chris Armas as a coach is great, great man, much to offer. But the optics are so important as a club like Manchester United. And if you've got a pragmatist in charge, Ralph Rangnick, and then you go and appoint someone who... Again, with the greatest respect, the majority of Manchester United fans will not even have heard of right. as a first-team coach. I'm just not sure that the optics of that are very good, quite apart from what the team's going to be like. Well, John, we hope the optics for uh, MLS Cup Final on Saturday will be brilliant. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, Portland, NYCFC. Uh, it's going to be a great one. Really looking forward to it and looking forward to your company on the call. Looking forward to calling it. So thank you very much for having me. You're welcome, John. Anytime. Ah, great stuff there from John Champion. Yeah. Unfortunately, you uh, took a, a exemption or um, what's the word? Took exemption. It's not took t- exception. Exception. With, exemption. Yeah. Exception. Good lord, English language. No, I, I asked a completely reasonable question about one of the biggest controversies, literally in MLS history. Mm. Uh, you made fun of me. And so I, I took my ball and I went home. I left and I allowed you to. You, you know what? You know everything. You finish the interview. That's not actually what happened. It sounded like it. <laughs> I experienced technical. This was recorded earlier when JJ and I were. The interview was recorded earlier when JJ and I were at home. Yes. And uh, my microphone died. It stopped working. And so uh, 
Sadly, one of my broadcasting heroes, John right. Champion, I was oh. able to ask basically one question, and then it was over. And it was the JJ show. And then JJ stepped in. He said, "Oh, don't worry, I'll take the reins." And uh, now he's slowly but surely rebranding the show as JJ Offside, um, and trying to move Andrew out of the picture completely. But our our thanks seriously to John Champion. He'll be on the call Saturday, three o'clock on ABC. Um, yeah, that. Uh, I don't know. There's so there's such a part of me that wants to just say, I think Portland will win. Like in that in that stadium, seemingly Sebastian Blanco is healthy, which you know how important uh, I find him to be I, healthy I, enough that he's going to take part in the game. I guess. I mean, he did play uh, a smaller role, but he came on in the conference final. Uh, I don't know though. Can I? Put a proposition across to you. It's okay. a final, so that that has a leveling action. Um, it's at home, so that gives a little bump to Portland, or as John said on, on in the interview, a big bump to them. But footballing wise, NYCFC are a better side. Now that doesn't necessarily make the difference. We've seen cup finals before where it hasn't, but I would be slightly weighted towards NYCFC getting this done. Um yeah, so they are if you look at the uh the SPI, yes. I believe they're favored 57 to 43%. Right. NYCFC. Okay. So you're not wrong for thinking it. Um you know Tati Castellanos coming back is obviously massive. Uh big boost. Huge, huge certainly. You know, they've you know, so much was made of the Philadelphia Union situation in that Eastern Conference final, and rightfully so. It was, I mean, it was literally unprecedented what they were dealing with going into the most important game in their existence. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so, NYCFC once that news broke, switched from being underdogs to being the betting favorite, as you would expect. But they were missing their fair share of players as well. Castellanos for the red card, Keaton Parks obviously for his blood clot, uh, Anton Tinnerholm. But they still played better against the Revs is the point. Much better against the Revs in the previous game. And the concern is now, ooh, what happened against the Union when this team should have blown them away, really? Not blown them away, but won more convincingly. And they didn't. That's the doubt going into the final. It's why I think, look, we're going to see what happens uh, in this one. But let's say NYCFC go on and, and win. I think, you know, whatever goal is scored is obviously going to become the most important goal in NYCFC history, whatever the winning goal is. But I I would say, like, low-key, most important goal in NYCFC history, the Union score that goal to go up 1-0 in the second half, and it's kind of danger zone time. Because you can, if you're NYCFC, you can start to get in your head a little bit. You're on the road. The crowd is now going to become aggressive in their being against you. and you can start to think, are we really going to lose this opportunity going against a team that has 11 guys out? You could just start to see them maybe unravel a little bit, yeah. have the pressure get to them. Maxi Morales scoring that goal, what was it, 90 seconds after, not even giving really the crowd the, ch- the chance to kind of get on them and, and allow the pressure to build. It was such an unbelievably massive response. It was so deflating to the people in that building, to me as a union supporter watching it. Yeah. Because you could just feel like the, it felt like if the union were going to win, they were going to have to squeak a goal like they did. I mean, that was not you know a thing of beauty, but they squeaked in a goal to go up. Um, 
And then they were going to have to grind it out. And the fact that they couldn't even go 90 seconds before NYCFC equalized was devastating. Blow to the morale. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. But that Maxi Morales goal, it's it's got to go down as one of the biggest goals. I mean, it, right now, it is the biggest goal probably. Well, I mean, then they did score a winner in the 87th. But I just think that quick response, I can't even imagine what a huge boost that was to that team. Yeah, were you a fan of uh, the Roadrunner and Wildy Coyote? First of all, I believe it's Wiley Coyote. Right. I don't know. What did you just call the Wild, Wild E Coyote? Uh, yes, I was. Isn't that how he signed his checks? I can't remember. When I don't he, know. When I always to... referred to him as Wild. Maybe, yeah, maybe I always I think it's Wild him... E Coyote. So you kind of almost refer to him in the Usted form. <laughs> You're very formal. No, but him. when he was signing the checks, you know, someone has to play Acme <laughs> explosives, you know. It's right? true. But to my point. You don't want them on you. To my point. Uh... <laughs> You remind me of whenever he'd be hanging off the edge of a cliff yeah. just by his fingernails. The cliff is the Philadelphia Union season. And you talking about it is you clinging on to the remains of the day. It's just so unfortunate. I, know. I mean, I'm not trying to be biased in any way. Just, it's just, I, I couldn't believe it as the news was kind of unfolding that, you know, you start to see the list of players and it's just like, it's a sickener to get that far for the first time in your history and have this be the thing that denies you of at least being able to say, well, we gave it everything and I mean, we did everything. Yeah, it's one thing to just lose. Like yeah. Sometimes you just lose. You just get beat. It happens. But like, there will always kind of be this seed of doubt in that club's mind. And you don't know when they're going to get back to this point again. They're, they've they've established themselves as as consistent and you know built the right way they they've got an incredible youth system their pipeline is always churning out new talent but you have no idea if they'll get back to this point how long it will take there's always going to be that what if yeah that exists with it. i'm sure it was sickening for Blake and Bedoya and players like that that helped them get to this point to to have to sit and watch that and not you know and they, and, and all being fine yeah. like not even symptomatic what, what or anything a, what a blow to take this uh, this thing just. But that's not what this is about. No. We're past that, um, and it should be a, a tremendous final. Which, um, if you had to make a pick, I'm going with NYCFC. Okay, score uh, two to one. I because I think Portland will get one. Okay, I'm going to say Portland one 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 win on penalties. Oh, interesting. I asked John in one of the few questions I was able to get in about storylines and it's funny because he kind of went right to the one that was on the forefront of my mind what Diego Valeri has meant to that team that city uh, I don't know it feels like maybe I'm like I'm envisioning in my head the storybook ending of like this goes to penalties and he converts he comes on as a sub at some point, converts the winning penalty, rides off into the sunset. Like, I'm just writing the if, script in my mind. Well, if there's going to be a Valeri winner or a Valeri final chapter to this story, it will be a volley, a dipping volley from just outside the 18-yard box. And that's how it lend. Finn, as you would say. Finn. Uh, let's see, JJ. You want to do? Uh, you want to go to the mailbag? I do. Pod at gmail.com is the email ESPN on Instagram and at COSoccerPod on Twitter follow us there on our rinky dink social medias and uh, you can connect with us and it's fun uh, someone who has connected with us and it was fun was I am Gorman I am underscore Gorman he sent us this unbelievably viral video <laughs> 2.1 million views thus far 
of 1980s goalkeepers just bombing punts down the field. The ball's in their hands, they bounce it, and they just welly it, launch it, like a howitzer, down, like like they're shelling someone. Why has this become as viral as it has, though? Because you don't see it anymore. That's not entirely it's true. De- oh, it's dead. You are looking at the Allison, Ederson, Jordan Pickford, side volley, p- precision pass down the field. In the 80s, 90s, and well into the early 2000s, and probably still at League One and League Two level, the goalkeeper would bounce, make a gesture with his hands, and launch it. I'm just going to kick this. Yeah, launch it onto yeah. the heads. <laughs> and and one of the great camera views, which you see in this viral video, is the behind-the-goal view from almost ground level, where you could see quite how high it's going. And who thought it would be safe to, for anyone to be on the end of that, heading it? Yeah. That, I mean, that's another another story for another day. Um, and also, one of, the, one of the big things that drew me into the game, all, all these little quirks, was as a kid, when they'd take the, the goal kick from the ground and they would launch it too. Just hammer it into a certain area. And you know what the plan was? It was as vague as this. Win the ball and flick it on or knock it down to a teammate or don't win it, but win the second ball, win the breaking ball. Mm-hmm. And I just can't figure out when we stop seeing this. Like, I'm sure, I know Tim Howard was doing this for the majority of his career. I don't think Tim Howard and a lot of keepers of him, he's just popped into my head now, but of that era starting out would get jobs now because goalkeepers kicking, or they, they would get jobs, but they'd have to be a lot better with their feet. Which, by the way, if we're talking about the evolution of the sport, I'm okay with that. Yeah, sure. Like, I don't hate the idea of the goalkeeper at times being considered an outfield player who's going to be expected to make precision passes. Like, I think that's good for the game. I think it creates a better product. Uh, This might be fun. Let me just watch this guy kick the bleep out of a ball. Unbelievable. Tear the leather off. But I, I do think that we've moved... Like, we went through that period of time where playing out from the back was like... If you in any way see yourself as a serious team, then you have to do that, yes. whether you're whether or not you're equipped for it. And a lot of teams found out the hard way that they were not. And I think we've I think we're seeing some teams are still going to do it. A lot do more. Well. The majority of teams try to do a variation of it. But I think we've moved away from it to the extent. Remember when Ooh, you? Oh no! I'm talking about you would have these the moments, JJ, of like the goalkeeper puts it down in the six yard box, and you have like two fullbacks who sprint to each side, like to each corner flag. Right. I don't think you're seeing that. You're not because the rule changed because they're now allowed inside the penalty box to yeah, receive that's it. that's true. That, you're right. That has changed. But- that was high madness. <laughs> that, that was, not for every team, but for many teams, that was madness. Yeah. Because they didn't have the personnel to not do it. Not equipped. And Losing also, possession. Also, in, like- the rules box them in. The rule changes, that those sort of rule changes have made this uh, sport that's more amenable to playing out from the back. Uh, but that's anyway, that that is one of the quirky things I saw on, on the YouTubes, on soccer YouTubes, and I thought I'd share it with everyone else. Uh, we go to the animals on Reddit. I hope the boys bring back the caught offside Christmas songs from 2019. That was two years ago. Wow. Oy. Was it 2019 into 2020? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was. As the world was about to change. Because uh, yeah, Pulisic was at Chelsea. I remember there was a That's right. Lyric. So uh, I went into the archives to listen to them again. Honestly, all of them are gems. <laughs> The lyrics are top-notch. I was shopping the other day and Rocking Around the Christmas Tree came on and I almost started to sing Oh by golly, Pulisic scored and what a volley. 
Yeah. You did a. Uh, I think that was your finest moment. Someone said. Oh, really? Someone responded said, "All I want is more rap battles." The one they did mm. last year, no, two years ago, was so good, and Andrew absolutely won. He did. Um, but I, I honestly think that was your finest hour, production wise. I'm a, I'm a great lyricist. Yeah, and I didn't write a single one. You just literally I wrote them all, and I said, "Hey, by the way, you're singing these today." Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was really, really. Yeah, actually, I, I was thinking about. Before I didn't even see this until you sent me the mailbag. I had not been on the Reddit, right? Um, and I was thinking of doing this again. Uh, well, I think I think people certainly going by the Reddit. I would imagine those guys would love that. Um, and finally, Darren in Vermont, which dramatic late goal, late goal from the la- from. JJ, can you read? Hmm. Which dramatic late goal from the last week did you enjoy most? So, Masuaku's winner versus Chelsea. Oh. What a... <laughs> Fluke. <laughs> but still. But dramatic. You, but highly dramatic. Very important game. And you talk about just like watching a game casually kind of and then having something happen that causes you to scream. Yeah. Like... The, the shock of that ball going in from that angle. Well, here's here, if you want to hear it, here's how Peter Drury, uh, how he called it. Got himself in a good position. Masuaku. Masuaku. Oh, I mean, Peter Drury, who's got a, you know a call for everything, he was so caught off guard by it, he just kind of makes a sound. Amazing moment. Um, there's Neil Mopé's equaliser versus Southampton, which uh, was pretty dramatic for for uh, for Brighton. A free kick goes into the wall, and it's volleyed just straight, shank volleyed straight to him. He controls it, buries it, and then decides to, you know, just taunt the crowd <laughs> as he loves to do. Um, Origi's winner versus Wolves obviously was. Can we have a quick conversation about Divac Origi? I yeah. know we, we've done this before. Mm. Apologies if it's repetitive. Um, he's one of the most unique players I've ever seen. His, <laughs> like, a lot of guys have a clutch gene, but, like, he kind of only has a clutch gene. Yeah. He has no other genes. This is who he is. Well, I guess he scored against Milan yesterday, but that was more, uh, yeah, it's still pretty close. But, like, his catalog of of late winners... Important is, ones is yeah. hi- like historic, but he doesn't really have a catalog of anything else. It's no. The only thing I think this has come up before. There's only one guy in for me in all of sports that I can compare to him. Go on, and it's Robert Ory, Explain. former basketball player. I mean, just Robert Ory didn't really. He was a good player, good three point shooter, but like not an all star, not like not that guy at all. But his catalog. Of like game-winning threes in NBA Finals, and and like his three at the buzzer against the Kings in the Conference Final in two thousand, like in two thousand two. It's ridiculous what this guy like what his highlight reel, what his highlight video is, does not fit the player that he was. Six, and and Origi is that sixteen-year career in the NBA, uh, seven-time NBA champion, uh, with huge shots in all of them. Wow. But I don't believe he was ever once in all. Like his, he's got a highlight reel on YouTube that is just not befitting of who he was as a player. And I don't mean that as a slight to him. If I were only going to have one gene, I would love for it to be a clutch gene where I show up in an NBA Finals and suddenly I'm the hero. 
And Origi has that, and it's it's wild and that he continues to do this. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had it, um, although okay. I think the consensus would be that Solskjaer was a better all-around footballer, and you always heard about other teams coming in every summer trying to get him because he wasn't a starter for United. Yeah, Origi's never linked with anyone. No. And try and visualize him scoring 20, 15, between 15 and 20 goals for a Villa, for a Brighton, for a... I can't see it. For yeah, a, like for a Wolves, don't see it. He just, he just comes in, and I mean, I actually when Klopp decided to take, I think it was Henderson off, and bring him in, I was like, "What are you doing? You're just gonna gut the midfield there." Was it Henderson or Jota? I can't Have remember. Have you not learned? Have uh, you learned nothing? Uh, nothing. Now Absolutely I, nothing. Now I should say when I I did not see this game live, I went back, I watched the highlight of it. And when I watched it, I knew I knew what was coming. Liverpool I knew were better, but they by no means, you know, a nil-nil would have, was well on the cards. But what stood out to me about the, that goal was not a, it was not Origi. It was Salah. Salah's touch to set that up. Uh, he uh, he's just so clearly the best player in the world right now. And that's why it's so important to stall on a contract. And save the <laughs> save millions and millions, which you're gonna have to spend on a player who I can guarantee you will be inferior to him. What are FSG doing? What are they doing? Sign him. Yeah, because at this point, oh. are they like we're deep enough into the season now? Are they are they thinking that if okay, well if his he can't it's like he can't keep up this rate. He's going to level off, and maybe his price will drop. We can't sign him when he's playing at a level that we don't believe is sustainable. That's bad business. So maybe they have every but, intention of signing yeah, him. Yeah, but, but even if he reverted to his mean or his average, not, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Like, look at all the goals he has. What is he, 20 goals before? And it's not even the mid part of he's December. He's unbelievable. He's just brilliant. Absolutely um, brilliant. And then in this list of dramatic late goals, there was one other one, and we were asked which one was our favorite by Darren in Vermont, and... Damari Gray's winner for Everton against Arsenal is mine. from Damari Gray. So the backdrop to this is amazing. This whole night was a night of rancor, toxicity, and hatred towards Everton's board. So the banner is revealed. 27 years uh, and, you know, not basically not good enough. Not we, we want more. 27 years without a cup. Um, only the best is good enough. That's what we want. Whatever it said. And Marcel Brands is gone. He was the sacrificial lamb for this whole de- debacle. And that is the backdrop. And I don't care what anyone says. Tim Howard said there wasn't that many. There seemed to be significant Everton fans who left the ground on the 27th minute and did not return. Now, there was enough of a crowd there still, but there was people streaming out. And that's the whole setup for it. And they, you know, they go behind, even though I... Okay, they were they were well in the game. They go behind. They have how many offside goals? Two, off- two I believe. Richarlison's. And they're not just like, 
Oh, yeah, he was offside actually when I come to look at it. It's so narrow. The yeah. decisions were so narrow and you think it's never happening for them. By the way, Richardson, who I destroyed on the last podcast, had a brilliant game for them. Talk about having the, the fire in your be- belly burning. And, um, and then Damari Gray does that to seal your first win since what, September? <laughs> unbelievable. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Is it sustainable, folks? No. <laughs> I would say not. But it's one of those nights where amid, amid the, the gloom of your club being a total mess, I've been corresponding with our friend Doug regularly. Mm. I, I just like talking football with Doug, but yeah. also he's not in a great place with Everton. And uh, that I, I instantly thought of him when it happened. That's got to lift his spirits. Well, I mean, even if it's a season that doesn't wind up resulting in very much, this is a moment you remember. Yeah, it's just you just can't see them keeping it going, can you? By the By the way... Arsenal now, after all we've said about Arsenal, they were so weak in that game. That was an Everton game. There was moments in that game where I thought Arsenal are gonna they're gonna move away with this one. And even at the end, Aubameyang pulls that shot wide, mm. who was probably the poster boy for not giving massive contracts to guys over thirty. But I still think there's a difference between. <laughs> okay. I still think there's a difference between him and Salah. JJ's now arguing with himself. <laughs> I think there's a difference between him and him and Salah, folks. But whatever. Um, an amazing night at Goodison. To get a weekend, uh, the question from Darren in Vermont is just perfect because to get a weekend that delivers the Masuaku goal and a goal that has Martin Tyler doing this. <laughs> That's yeah, fantastic. I, I love it, but sometimes just let your feelings go. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I was... Um, I wanted to include it, but I wanted you involved, so I didn't in the end. But with John Champion, I wanted to ask him, what was his, what are his favourite calls? We're always, me and you, telling people what we love. But we've never asked the commentator, what's the one when you say that? That is my art at its, at its highest form. You mean what would John Champion say is his own greatest? No. Oh, his, his favourite oh, oh, call. Okay. You know, gotcha. would it be Barry Davies? Look at his face! Just look at his face! I mean, but that one I love it. There, There's your, there's your, what do you say? There's your hero? Martin Tyler? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's your... And, and there's your three, and here's your three points, or something like and, that. And there's your storyline. Just yeah. do it simple. Some of the times, the most simple calls are the best. Well, Martin Tyler, I mean, his call of Manchester City, you know, watch it, drink it in. Yeah. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Yeah, that whole, I mean. And he did spend the rest of his career just going, Shearer! That was it. <laughs> he didn't do anything else. Stealing a living, if you ask me. <laughs> Wow, that's a scorching hot take. I do not believe that for a second. Please, everyone tweet that at him. That no, no, that. no, 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 no. It was a joke. Uh, no, yeah, we we basically worship the guy uh, on this show. All right, we haven't done this in a while. I'm almost afraid to hit the button. I'm trembling, JJ, in trepidation. Red card. Calm down, it's only a button. Here's my red card. I'm going to go first. Uh, I referenced this earlier that I would get to it, and I'll get to it now. The ugliness between Atletico Madrid and Porto, FC Porto. (laughs) I don't know that I will be popular for having this take. You enjoyed it. No, I did not. That's why it's my red card. Oh. The ugliness. I thought thought the red card was to yourself for enjoying it, the pleasure you took from it. No, no. It's to the embarrassment of what happened Mm, in this game. Okay. Um. And like, it's not that I'm surprised to see it, but I, I don't know. For some reason, in this game, it just kind of like recrystallized for me in a whole new way. The game, the magnitude of the game, what it meant, all that. 
I will never get used to that, that kind of feigning of injuries. S-housery. S-housery is one thing, but blatant faking an injury in that style to try to force a red card out of an official, I understand why they do it. It's a huge game. It's the dark Win at all costs. Eh, I can't get used to it. No. I can't. Um Yana Carrasco was sent off in the 67th for raising a hand to Ottavio. It wasn't that bad, and Ottavio absolutely acted like he had been killed on it the field. It wasn't even a striking action. Um, but before you could even like react to that, uh, almost immediately it was followed by an interaction where uh, Wendell kind of raised his elbow to Mateus Cunha, who then also went down like he had been absolutely killed on the field. And it was embarrassing, both of them. Yeah. The, the Cunha one in particular was, it was so embarrassing to watch. And look, I, I get it. Like, it's kind of a black and white rule. You can't raise your arms to another player's head or face. I understand it, but I'm sorry. I will just simply never be cool with the level of high-profile injury faking that went on in this game. And I sort of wish, I don't know how this happens, but I just kind of wish it could be refereed differently. Um, like, I, I wish there was a way to kind of litigate obvious faking of injuries, but for whatever reason, it's it's always punished the same. Like, didn't red Sc- card. Didn't Scottish football, and maybe it still does, have retrospective diving? Uh, you, like, if, if, if yeah, it's believed, I, you can go back and you can be suspended. I mean, that's one way to do it. But that's, you know, you're going to have a panel adjudicating over that. I think it was a Hibernian player. Uh, but well, five or six years ago, was uh, adjudicated to have taken a dive. It was poured over by a disciplinary panel, and he was given a, a ban. Yeah, and so so fine. Like these guys, all right, you got your red cards, but like you also, for whatever it's worth, maybe it's not worth anything because it's all about winning at all costs. And and at the end of the day, you know, Atletico Madrid are moving on, so I guess it's worth it. But like, you you also embarrassed yourself. And I don't know. I found it. I can't get used to it. I can't. I don't think embarrassment features very high in the lexicon of Atleti. <laughs> wow. I don't think they're afraid of embarrassing themselves. And no, and and if their fans are listening to this, I'm sure there may. Who knows? There's probably been. There might be moments in the history of this podcast where I've contradicted myself. Of course, there are. And said, you know, you know, you can't go to someone's face or you can't touch someone's head, even if it's a bad rule or whatever. You can't do it. But like, I don't know. This just felt egregious to a level and the, the importance of the game the fact that we had to that that had to end 10 v 10 um for some silliness of like blatant fake injuries i don't know i just thought it was embarrassing so that's my red card uh my red card is to fifa vice president and head of Concacaf victor montagliani who joined gabin jules to talk about many things including the super league and here are some quotes there are some areas in the world that i think it's a great idea Canadian businessman Montagliani has led CONCACAF since 2016, which governs the game in North and Central America and and the Caribbean, as we know. There has been talk, even here in my federation, in Central America, that I think is ripe for something like that. I think they're, they are even studying it because you have seven countries that are geographically close. I totally understand why there was this backlash in Europe and by UEFA just because of the traditional way that football has always been, Montagliani added. But the concept of a continental league might actually be the ticket for development of club football in some parts of the world. You know what? That's cool. We have one. It's called the Champions League and it's awesome. 
Yeah, but I think he's he's referring. He's kind of almost laying the bed for the. They're going to make another run at it. Well, yeah, but he, he. I mean, why he should be more plain speaking there. You know, we have leagues cup. I mean, how many competitions have been created in the last four or five years to involve clubs from Mexico and oh. MLS? to create competitions, to try and create this unity. That's what's coming down the line. That is what he's preempting here. Just say it. Just say it. And it won't be the smaller teams. They, there might be smaller teams involved, but it will be the Liga MX teams and it will be the MLS teams that will form the main part of this and it will be a money spinner just like the Super League was meant to be in UEFA. And it might be to the detriment of local leagues. You don't know. You should just say it. You know, he's kind of talking around it there. But anyway, you can listen to that interview with uh, Mr. Montagliani on uh, ESPN FC's feed, Gavin Jules. Nice job by them. Uh, let's see now. Caught offside's man of the match. JJ went with Carlos Heel of the New England Revolution. Oh, uh, Carlos. Yeah, may not be, I guess, I don't know what it means to him now. Like, they went out in, in devastating fashion to NYCFC. Their season ended prematurely, but... We still got to give it up to him as Heel has been named this year's Landon Donovan MVP award winner. Led the league in assists with 18. An interesting note on his assists, by the way. That's a lot. 18 is a huge number. Good for him. But a lot of them were also really important. Eight of his 18 assists were game-winning goals. Uh, that is tied for the most all-time in a single season. He becomes the second Revs player to win MVP. Care to guess who the other one was? Hint, he was a recent guest on this podcast. I'm Taylor Twelman. That's right, back in 2005. Um, this comes on the heels, no pun intended, of Heel being named MLS's Comeback Player of the Year. Wouldn't shock me if there was a pun intended there. It was not, not intended, just accidental brilliance. Uh, also named to MLS's 11, as you would expect the MVP to be. Um, one more trivia for you here. Uh, becomes the third Spaniard to win the MVP award. Uh, care to guess again? They're both fairly, they're both recent. Uh, one of them. Go on. No, tell okay, me. Okay, David Villa in 2016 ah, yeah. and Alejandro Pozuelo uh, last year. Um, in case you were wondering how the voting played out, Hani Mukhtar finished second and Jao Paulo finished third of Seattle. Should also point out the Revs came up big with uh, manager of the year, Bruce Arena, goalkeeper of the year, Matt Turner, and of course, heel with MVP. So they'll always have that. It will probably down the line mean something more to them, but, but it doesn't today. Right now, it won't. Yeah. My um, man of the match, or I guess man and boy of the match, <laughs> men of the match. Uh, unbelievable thing happened tonight. Uh, United, Manchester United were playing young boys at Old Trafford, and it was a night for youth, and it was a night for commentator Robbie Savage, formerly Man United, but most famously, what would you say, Leicester? Derby County, yeah. Blackburn, um, to introduce his son in his Champions League debut, his 18-year-old son, Charlie Savage. And he got to do it live on BT Sports. I think it's quite appropriate, Robbie, at this time that I step aside and allow you to bring your son on for his first team debut for Manchester United. Take it away. Yeah, coming on for Manchester United. Charlie Savage for one matter. Well, I never believed I'd ever say those words here at Manchester United. You know, what a proud day for my boy. You know, all the hard work and the, you know, what a day for me, his mother, 
you know, his nana, his grandparents, and most importantly for that boy there, Charlie Savage. So proud of him, Darren. It's just an amazing moment for him. Can can you even? That is awesome. Can you even imagine nope. that? Can't. Just. I wouldn't have been able to keep it together. I yeah. would have burst out crying. Just. Or maybe even burst out singing. Ain't nobody. Now why? Just why? He was one of the first. One of the first on Twitter. One yeah. of the first footballers on Twitter. Twitter, and that ain't nobody drop. Hit it again. Ain't nobody. Coming to Pride Park. Getting the three points was uh, was Robbie Savage. He was a pioneer, um, and he parlayed it into a nice little media career afterwards, and now he's watching his son come onto the field at Old Trafford. Uh, by the way, notable tonight, six Manchester United teenagers played in the UEFA Champions League tonight. 17-year-old Shola Shortire, 18-year-old Charlie Savage, 18-year-old Zidane Iqbal, 19-year-old Ama Diallo, 19-year-old Tendon Mengi, and 19-year-old Anthony Ilanga. So um, that's the club's DNA. It's always been youth. Uh, it hasn't always been youth, not lately. But that is pretty um, pretty impressive to to be able to do that. Ralph Ranick was able to give some guys some minutes, some youth, and one um, one draw with the young boys. Burn nothing to be sniffed at. That was a special moment. I actually, you know, Robbie Savage as a media personality is. You know, he's not everybody's cup of tea, but that was a special moment. Very, very hard not to, to feel emotional. Very cool. That's a, that's a good shout by you. And that will just about wrap up this edition of Caught Offside. <sighs> Unbelievable stuff. Loved it. Yeah. Loved every second of it. Uh, there was one, one thing I wanted to mention to you, because um, I know you had mentioned on the last podcast oh. that um, you had gotten your booster shot. Yes. But it, and it hit you hard. Oh, yeah. But it just got me thinking, I wanted to tell you the story that, uh, so I took Jack to get his vaccine. Oh, no. And he's he's five. He's about going to turn six in January. Yeah. First time he got the shot, he had to get two of them. First, lost it. Like yeah. an absolute maniac, yeah. crazy person. Just like the second they said, okay, roll up your sleeve. No! Nah! Ah! Like scream. I had to hold him down, hold his arms, hold his legs. It was, it was horrifying. So the second time we went back again, I was like, okay, hopefully he remembers that it didn't actually hurt, no. that he was fine. It was even worse. He was, it was out. even worse. Um, now, what I wanted to tell you, I'm curious what you make of this. I have a such a problem. I'm going to get worked up about it. Oh. I have such a problem with other parents who think, I'll be the hero. Oh, no. I'll save this oh, situation. no, 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 no. If any of you out there are that person listening to this right now, don't do it. So I walk in. This time, like last time when Jack freaked out, it was when he at least got in the chair and they're about to do it. And there's other kids in the room because after you, when you're a kid, after you get your shot, you have to be monitored for 15 minutes. So they all stayed in the room. It's not a private room. He goes in this time before he even gets in the chair, he's screaming. And like I'm trying, I'm the parent. I'm trying to handle this. All of a sudden, you know, he's crying, he's hysterical, he won't go over, I'm trying to drag him over, it's not working. All of a sudden, like, another parent comes over, and she gets in his face, and she's like, you know, Spider-Man got the vaccine. Oh, God. Batman got the vaccine. It's not okay to join in. Paw Patrol got the vaccine. You're not helping, okay? All you are right now is a stranger in his face that is making him more upset. And let's not forget, he doesn't like his sleeves being rolled up. (laughs) 
What is weird adult in face going to do for him? Oh, and then another parent, she kicks in saying, I don't remember what, I just remember another parent talk, trying to talk him down. Like, look, first of all, two things. I'm the dad. I got this. Mind your own business. Watch your own kid. This is not for you to try to fix. Okay. I'll handle it. Second of all, like, let's just all face reality here. He's afraid of needles. Okay. Millions of kids who are five years old are afraid of needles. Millions of adults. Yeah, millions of adults are afraid of needles. So instead of trying to apply rational logic to the situation, like, let him cry. I'll sit him in the seat, stick him with the needle, and let's get on with our day. Like, uh, he doesn't need to be smiling and laughing did when it you, happens. Did you, though, the real question for everyone is, did you, because I know what you're like. Even yeah, if, I wanted to say, mind your own, I, I was but holding, you won't, every fiber but of my being won't. was holding back from saying, mind your own business. But, I wanted to say it. I just said, oh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah, I and, just said and you batted it off. But yeah. meanwhile, inside, you were like, you're Walk in, you're away. In, you're not helping. You're, you're making everyone in this situation feel worse. Your innards were boiling. You were oh, ready to just, explode. Something I, about it made me so mad. So incredibly Just the idea mad. of you screaming at some woman. Just, it's my child! Mind your own business! Oh, God, it's not for you to fix! And then everyone, there's just a silence, and then you hear two guys in the car. Jeez, he's, he's really bad at this parenting thing. <laughs> well, because that's what the, that's the, the, the message here the is. The message is, hey. I'm not fit l- to handle this. Step back there, leave it to the pros. Right. Which is the most condescending. Oh, man. Uh, Drove me nuts. Drove me nuts. So if anybody out there, any parents, moms or dads who are listening to this, and you're you're in the room and you're watching the situation play out with another kid and you're thinking that, you know, in some way you can help, you can't. Yeah. And the parent of that kid doesn't want you to. Nor should you. Just a little PSA for everyone out there listening. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed this thoroughly. We'll be back next week with another edition. I'm of afraid Offside, that you didn't enjoy it and that you're raging no, on I the inside. Yeah. I, I just I was curious to share that story with you. I, um, I was wondering what you would think of it. I would just, I would have just sat back and watched. I yeah. would have been. Mm. Yeah, everyone just mind your own business. That's yeah. all. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course. We'll take a look back, of course, on uh, MLS Cup Final, Portland, NYCFC. Our thanks again to uh, John Champion for talking with JJ earlier on in the show. Yeah. This was fun, my friend. Don't be bitter, though. <laughs> to, uh, who am I going to be bitter at? My microphone? Well, unless you sabotaged me. I'm a part of the like, show. Like, unless you cut my cord or something like that. I don't know. I guess I'll have to go investigate when I get back home. Hey, good stuff, my friend. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 